SmodCom is your one-stop shop for tickets to all live Smod pods and appearances by your favorite Smodcasters. Kev goes solo at Montreal Comic Con on July 3rd, San Diego Comic Con weekend, Babylon at the House of Blues on July 11th. Has tickets available? Then back at the Hollywood Improv on July 17th. July 31st, Babel at the Hollywood Improv. Looking ahead to August. Kev goes solo at Caroline's on Broadway in New York City on August 3rd. Babylon at the Hollywood Improv on August 7th. Kevin J., along with Mike and Ming, are at Fandom Fest in Louisville, Kentucky on August 8th. Two of the three Kev solo shows at the Atlanta Improv are sold out, but tickets are still available for the August 10th show. Looking ahead, Babylon in Hollywood on August 14th and 21st. Windsor, Ontario gets Kev at the Windsor Comic Con on August 15th, while his solo show at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Fran on August 23rd is sold out. But Edumacation with Kevin Andy still has some tickets left for that date. An evening with Kevin Smith, August 27th at the Houston Improv, the next night in Dallas at the Texas Theater. August 29th, Babylon at the Empire Theater in San Antonio. September 4th through 6th, Jason Muse hits up Wizard World San Jose. Get old and Q&A with Kev embark on the Jersey Boys Tour Down Under. September 18th in Sydney, the 19th in Brisbane, the 21st in St. Kilda, Victoria, the 23rd in Torrensville, and September 26th in Perth. Show your love for all the free funny at Smodcast.com by checking out a live Smodco show. Visit csmod.com. Geek News Radio's commentary, not just another podcast, on The Ordinary the Big Ball Podcast. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 29, all the geeky news you can use from the West Coast. This is Kyle Abair, I'm an anime and video game voice actor. You can play me as Ryu from Street Fighter in Super Smash Brothers for the 3DS and Wii U. And your co-host on the East Coast, other one, Steve. And I'm grateful that you said play you and not play with you. You could play with me. I mean, I, I play with myself all the time when I load up games that I actually voice the characters of. I'll play as you. I'm just saying, even though I like you, I don't know if I want to play with you. Yeah, well, speaking of games that you can't play with anybody but yourself, Arkham Knight. I just picked that up. Uh, it's a it's a PlayStation exclusive. It's also on PC. We'll talk about the debacle on the, on the computer side in a sec. But as we speak, as we're recording this episode, I am installing the 3 gig uh, day one update. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck requires 3 gigs to update? Was it that bad from, from the get-go? I don't get it that's insane i'm not a pc gamer are you a pc gamer oh god no i remember over a decade ago when me and you played unreal tournament 2004 and that was the one time when and it was a lot of fun but the keyboard mouse controller setup uh yeah i i the people that are hardcore pc gamers they swear that's the only way you can play a first person shooter and me and you, we grew up with consoles. It's like, no, give me a controller. I can't. I, I use a mouse and a keyboard to surf the net, man. I do wonder if it's a generational thing, but absolutely. We grew up with arcade cabinets with the sticks and the buttons. And I guess like with the Atari, they tried to emulate that as much as possible. And then over time, we ended up with the controllers with the D-pads that we're all pretty familiar with today. But the, the PC thing is still a big thing. I, I see a lot of people playing Grand Theft Auto um, on PC. And now you have Arkham Knight available on PC. People who have either done the Steam thing or, or whatever, they're reporting tons and tons and tons of problems. Steam, their rating system, not their rating system, but their comment system has been bombed 
their, the game's profile page has been absolutely bombed with negative reviews. Um, some things that are happening is stuttering, wildly variable frame rates, in some cases as low as five frames per second, and straight-up crashes. Um, what's happening a lot is that there's huge memory leaks, and it's charging causing the game to spike at over 12 gig of memory. And then once that happens, it's just crashing out right now. Um, unfortunately, this is something that's happening both with NVIDIA and AMD users, although it seems the AMD users are suffering a lot harder. Um, AMD did release a statement that their entire team is working on this to try to rectify this as soon as possible. Um, that's great for AMD. It doesn't help anybody using NVIDIA uh, graphics cards. But... I guess this story in a nutshell just means, kids, get it on the PS or, you know, go buy a PS if you really want to play it that bad. Apparently, if you get this thing for PC, it's just a fucking nightmare. Yeah, the bug the bug fixes will come. And I'm sure that, you know, obviously the, the game is in high demand. So that's like a, a first world problem where everyone tries to get on and, and, and the game is, you know, unplayable for X, Y and Z reasons. And it's not even a multiplayer type game, as I was mentioning before. It's like, I kind of wish it was, but it's not, you know, and obviously you're, you're getting all this different kind of gameplay for the first time in this Arkham series. You're getting to, to get behind the wheel of the Batmobile, something I'm really looking forward to. It's like, oh, a little, little GTA action carryover from the other one. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see that, but, um, I, I, I'd be surprised. I mean, I know there's a, there's a huge element, a, a huge audience out there that do play exclusively PC games, um, but with the with the graphics and and everything, it seems like you would have to invest a lot more in a custom PC setup to be able to to have the graphics card requirements to to run the game as smoothly as it could. You know, in the full HD with with no stuttering and, and any of that stuff. I just got a beautiful. It's actually a gaming PC workhorse. And I wonder how well it would uh, handle the high-end stuff. Right now, I'm running 16 gig of RAM with an option to double that to 32 gig of RAM. It's got a terabyte hard drive, five-core processor, so maybe. But even having a nice machine, apparently, like they kind of fucked this thing from go. The game itself is limited to 30 frames per second out of the box. And uh, there's some tutorials online about what folders you have to navigate through. You actually have to get into the code and change a line of code in order for you to play at a higher uh, frame rate. So I don't get it. I don't get why some PC games just get fucked. Like, like the, everybody banks on the, the console release. And they're like, oh, well, you know, fuck the PC user. I'm not a PC gamer, but I don't think it's fair to fuck any of your fan base. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But uh, obviously the developer, uh, I guess, is it Rocksteady? that did this but yeah they uh it's like yeah they want to lock in the console exclusive and you know they got their priorities where it's like okay this is where our biggest gaming audience is right now you know some developers are going well we're going to want to go xbox exclusive like uh with cuphead uh the game that kind of caught my eye the most out of e3 i know we talked about all the e3 announcements being kind of meh but the, the the game that's coming to pc and xbox one exclusively like in the late fall or the holidays is cuphead which looks like a Betty Boop type cartoon, you know, thing. And I, I think we did mention that actually, or you did. Looks incredible. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. It's uh Xbox exclusive. It's also coming to steam. 
which will probably be the only outlet I'll have for it. Right. And then that one probably won't require, you know, crazy um, <laughs> specs for your video card because it's so, you know, intentionally retro. But at the same time, and I don't know how true it is, but the claim is what you're seeing is actual hand-drawn animation. It's it's not rendered out that way. That they actually Yeah, yeah, exactly. That That's another really, really impressive thing about it is the hand-drawn, hand-inked, hand-everything, custom, all this and that. Uh, a, a level of commitment that uh, I don't think that that studio is is w- one of the big wigs. It's it's probably just another indie developer that definitely got a lot of uh, attention. One of my friends uh, said he went to E3 and he, he said he said the gameplay is insanely hard, but it is beautiful to behold. And um, you know, hopefully they'll do some tweaks between now and release because everything's a beta when you, when it comes down to it. You know, you had all the all the big AAA titles that are, you know, a year off or more. Um, and, you know, sometimes they're a little too hard. Sometimes they're a little too easy. They're going to take all the feedback from the game players uh, at E3 and whatnot. And what's nice is they've already planned to um, provide a lot of additional content once the game's released. They've been very upfront in saying, no, this isn't the end. You're not just buying this one time, play it, get to the end, and you're over. They're going to keep releasing chapters and... Part of the incentive to do that, to back up just a little bit, the game's like all boss rushes. It's pretty crazy. It's not your typical run-and-gun like Mega Man. It's just like all boss rushes. And they're actually hoping to break the Guinness Book World of Records for having the most bosses in a video game. Well, maybe they can uh, attain that title very proudly. Now, speaking of E3, I wanted to make comment from Andrew Corson on our Facebook page, Big Ball Broadcast. And he asked, was I deaf listening to the last episode, or did you guys completely skip over Bethesda's conference at E3? Fallout 4 was a standout title in the lineup, with more footage shown than any other game at E3. I get that, but I think what we were kind of bringing to the plate was what appealed to us, as opposed to talking about everything that was released. Yeah, we're geeks, but just because you're a geek doesn't mean you like every title that comes out. I mean, I haven't played the Fallout series, and apparently I'm missing out because huge following. The internet, you know, totally orgasmed at the announcement of Fallout 4, and I'm like, okay, all right, I guess. So, yeah, so it's not a dick move. It's just I like classic Fleischer Studio-style hand animation, boss rushes, compared to something like Fallout. And I know that sounds like really weird and asinine, but... That that's my geek. That's that's what I geek on. Our preference is is consoles, but you know that doesn't make it right or wrong. I play Angry Birds on Facebook, so I don't know if that counts as PC gaming. Did you ever play Flappy Bird? Very briefly. I just I got enthralled with all the hype. I was like, what's this all about? I don't know if that was viral marketing or what, but it, the whole fucking thing was just really stupid. But that game developer made bank, and then he like disappeared. Then he came back and says, "Okay, well, I'll make another game to make bank again." Right? To make bank again. Nah, we're not in for the money. We're in for a shitload of money. One of the finest quotes from Spaceballs. Oh, speaking of space, um, for those who are highly anticipating the Intim- Independence Day sequel, it has a title now: Independence Day Resurgence. Now, Will Smith's not coming back, but it seems like everybody else is coming back. I've pretty much seen that, yes, everybody who lived in the first movie is coming back in this one. I don't know if it's because Suicide Squad is filming now as well, but 
it's kind of weird, you know, you'd think that you'd get him back, especially, you know, I hate to keep beating him up, but after a kind of a, a string of failures in the box office recently, this almost seems like, uh, I hate to say it, but like a sure shot. But they had a big to-do over social media, just uh, getting together, announcing the movie and everything, and uh, I, I don't even have the release date for this yet. I'm sure it's, you know, at least a couple years off, yeah? Next year. Oh, next year. Oh, shit. I guess that must mean it's mostly in the can at this point. From what I understand, they just kind of wrapped the casting announcements as of last week. So I don't even know if this thing's in full production yet. I do have to draw attention to something else that uh, probably has overshadowed the Independence Day Resurgence uh, press conference or press release, rather. We have a new Spider-Man. We have a new Peter Parker. We have a new flick, uh, as we know, that Sony's putting out uh, at the end of July 2017. It now has a director, too, John Watts, who I've never heard of, and the actor, Tom Holland, who I've also never heard of. But if you've seen movies like The Impossible, Wolf Hall, um, or um, Sam Watts' current film Cop Car, which debuted at Sundance, that's what you're going to get. Tom Holland's Twitter, he posted a pic of a black spider tattoo on his inner wrist. So uh, there you go. All the other rumored names uh, can now be tossed out. All those like, hey, it's going to be Miles Morales, Miles Morales. Like, nope, it's Peter Parker. And we got Tom Holland locked in. What I think is kind of weird is I really don't have a problem with them casting a relative unknown I say relative because I just don't know who this dude is. That's fine. He's a young dude, whatever. He's going to grow into the role, and uh, apparently they have a lot of faith in him. What I'm more confused about is John Watts because he doesn't doesn't seem like a very proven director, and it's just, if one of the studios decided to do this, I'd say it was odd, but where you have Disney working with Sony in conjunction, hoping this thing's going to bank, that just seems really weird. I'm more interested in just seeing Spider-Man show up in the Avengers at this point. Honestly, I'd rather see him in a, in a team flick at this point than seeing another standalone. We've had five standalones, some decent, some not so much. Um, I'm not that hungry for it, but to see him as part of an ensemble, I think that would be very exciting. Uh, you dug up some, some scoop on uh, whether or not we're going to see another Hulk movie, right? Well, we talked about it a while back, and things were very gray, and it was kind of some stuff that Mark Ruffalo was saying, and there wasn't a heck of a lot of confirmation. You know, I think I closed the fucking window. While you get that window tab open, I have to I have to tell a story that uh, my girlfriend, uh, who is a uh, up-and-coming uh, writer... Actually, that is her uh, her pen name, Right or Wrong, R-Y-T-E-R-O-R-R-O-N-G, Right or Wrong. And um, she's got a new novel out on Amazon. So if you search Ireland Calls My Name, it's a historical fiction novel set during the Cromwellian conqu- conquest of Ireland. Definitely check that out. Available um, in uh, paperback. And by the time you hear this, it should be available digitally as well. Uh, but anyway, we had a little adventure. Because she suffers from fibromyalgia. So that's like intense joint pain that doctors will run all these tests over and to determine that, uh, you're either, you know, make, it's all in your head or we don't have a, uh, diagnosis for this. So therefore, yeah, fibromyalgia, whatever. She, through uh, experimentation, discovered that, uh, marijuana definitely alleviates pain associated to, uh, fibromyalgia. So in the state of California, you can acquire a medical marijuana license. So we did that. We went uh, not even a 10-minute drive from my apartment. It was nice. It was really nice. You just, you know, pay the whatever, you know, new patient fee and doctor sees you, asks you a shit ton of questions and basically gives you the prescription, which is in the form of a card that is good for a year. 
and then you just renew that every year after that. Got her approved, no problem. Went to a dispensary, and that was a little bit of a shady uh, adventure because we go in, the place is cash only. They only let her back in to look at the selection of, of different uh, <laughs> varieties they have. You know, obviously they have the plants, they have the wax, they have the oils, uh, they have all this, you know, the edibles and all that. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, they'll let me go look around. I can just look around, right? I mean, I'm not buying it. She is. But they have an ATM, cash only. So I'm pulling out cash. I'm sitting there in the, in the, in the lobby and the ATM won't give me enough money. It just spits out part of what I asked for. Then I end up leaving, going down the street to my bank to pull out the rest. So they talk to her. She goes back to look at what she wants to purchase. And they're saying, it's like, yeah, we're not supposed to tell you this, but, you know, it looks a little shady when two people show up and one's handing cash to the other. You know, we've gotten, you know, in trouble with the cops many times before, before this. And I said, all right, I guess I understand that perspective. Because if you have a bunch of people coming in that don't have that official license, that official card, going in asking people who do to just like, hey, buy me weed. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. Unfortunately, we have some people over here on the East Coast that um, the cards, from what I am told, are pretty easy to obtain. You don't need much of a diagnosis in Massachusetts to get a card for medical marijuana. So a lot of people are getting it, and they go into these dispensaries and getting this really high-grade bud, and they're selling it on the street. And there are a lot of street dealers who are really, really pissed off about this because... Yeah. Yeah, I smoke and I get to get it from somewhere and I don't have a card. So I have friends that hook me up. But they spend a long time in the trenches, you know, establishing their customer base and working really hard with probably foreign relations or whatever to uh, to supply the, the vast majority. So, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd take offense, too, if somebody's stepping in on your turf like that and all of a sudden they have shit, you know, head to shoulders above what you're pumping out. So... I've yet to get my card. Uh, I had a friend stop by today who just got his card today, um, and he was really excited to share that with me, and I'm happy for him. The, the problem that I have, it's it's every year, you know, and in Massachusetts, it's 200 bucks and then an additional 50 to register with the state, so $250 a year for the okay to smoke pot. But in Massachusetts, it's decriminalized anyway if you get caught with an ounce or under, and it's for personal use, i.e. not in a bunch of little baggies. <laughs> if you have it all in one bag, you're all right. Little baggies is intent to distribute in Massachusetts, and that's a felony. But um, if you have under an ounce, you can smoke to your heart's content. If you get busted by the cops, it's a $100 ticket, which is pretty unenforceable. So I'd pay $100 for a ticket for getting caught I think more readily than 250 a year to smoke it, quote unquote, legally. Well, all right. Did we uh, did we find out about the the Hulk flick? I, I love you to death, but you sound a little high right now. Me? No, no, not <laughs> at all. I'm just smelling it. Girlfriends partake in uh, t this afternoon. <laughs> you sound pretty mellow. You're, you're, it's a little <laughs> <Yes>. drawn out. <laughs> I am mellow and I am hungry, but it's just because I haven't eaten in a long time. So anyways, as I was saying, Mark Ruffalo came out not too long ago and he was kind of talking about his doubts that there'd be a standalone Hulk movie. All we really knew at the time, it had something to do with Universal and it was kind of unclear about what rights Universal actually held. If it was a, in cooperation with Disney, or if it was a separate thing. Well, today we finally got absolute converse, um, confirmation from Forbes, and they say that Universal no longer holds the production rights of the character, but instead holds control of distribution rights on a solo Hulk movie. Um, so having said that, it makes it 
less likely that you're going to have a Hulk standalone film. But what I do agree with wholeheartedly, I think, with the Forbes article is that we really don't need a standalone Hulk movie. We had two. They both weren't really successful at all at the box office. And Hulk plays better as as um, an ensemble character. It's great to see him as part of the Avengers and the dynamics he has with the team. I think that's a more productive use of the character than a two or two and a half hour standalone because, I mean, you can only get angry and go green so many times before the audience starts yawning. You can enjoy Hawkeye in the, in the same dynamic. Do I think he deserves his own movie? No. Is Black Widow? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that could be interesting. But just because they're in on a team, you know, they're on a team for a reason. They bring a team dynamic to it. I agree. Speaking of other teams, you got X-Men. Uh, and, and kudos to Fox for at least being honest when they released uh, on Blu-ray and DVD The Days of Future Past, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. It retconned the shit X-Men films and the Wolverine Origins out of existence, basically. Um, but you have something called the Rogue Cut, which uh, features a lot of scenes that were you know, cut out of the theatrical version. You got Rogue in there. On top of the other uh, exciting Comic-Con announcements, uh, Fox will be bringing that rogue cut to San Diego Comic-Con. It's going to be at Reading Cinema, Gas Lamp District, which is 701 Fifth Avenue, San Diego, California. Uh, it's one showing only, from what I can tell, and it's Saturday, July 11th at 8 p.m. So if you're going to be attending SDCC this year, get your tickets in advance. This announcement plays off more about the release of the the Blu-ray and DVD, and they're making a big deal about that. That comes out July 14th of this year. That's my birthday, kid, so if you want to buy me a birthday gift, that might be decent. There's tons of extras, 90 minutes more extras than was originally planned, but I don't know how much more you're really going to get to see in this Rogue cut other than them bringing Rogue back in. Is it that important to bring Rogue back into the story? I really can't comment to it because I haven't seen Rogue back in the story, but to me, and I said it as soon as they announced it, it feels more like a cash grab than a sincere need to to really have this character as an integral part of the story. Rarely have director's cuts ended up being the preferred cut. It, I mean, I'm glad they are available because it gives fans an insight uh, to the filmmaking process. And usually, you know, those scenes are trimmed for a reason. It's just, you know, extraneous or it's redundant information or it just doesn't propel the story forward. And that's that's usually the case. You know, I can argue that there's 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 some really good scenes in James Cameron's Aliens, the director's cut, which made it, you know, 20 minutes longer but the movie totally stands, you know, as a classic at two hours and 18 minutes, too. And, you know, you, you tighten it up. The Abyss was another one of his movies that had a, an entire subplot removed. You know, it's interesting to watch and all that. And even Avatar, you know, director's cut and all that. It added a lot more things. And then you end up watching going, okay, that's interesting, but it doesn't really add much to it. If you're going to have that, I think it works better just having the the cut scenes as its own feature in, instead of, you know, marketing. Uh, here's an entire different director's cuts. You know, with Blu-ray and uh, the advances with Blu-ray technology, you can absolutely cram, you know, multiple versions of a movie onto one disc with all the extras or just put all the extras on a separate disc. People will buy it. For as much as a, of a Star Wars fan as I am, the classic trilogy, between the Blu-ray releases and the internet, we've all seen all the removed scenes by this point. 
And after seeing them, I go, yeah, those are removed for a reason. I wouldn't want to see that in the final film because either the acting was atrocious or like an empire with the case of the Wampas, they never got that to look right. It really looked below Muppet standards. So people fanboying up, oh, Lucas should have put those back in. No, no, no. It would have made for worse movies. Trust and believe, kids. You're, I mean, were we cringing back when we saw the uh, the Empire Strikes Back special edition going, are we going to get this scene just because it was cut? We're still holding out for the anamorphic widescreen actual you know, theatrical print release, and I don't know if that'll ever happen. Kudos to, to Universal for Jurassic Park making a billion dollars in less than two weeks. That's incredible. That's like Dark Knight money. That's like Marvel money. Dinos, uh, they definitely rule the Earth, at least for now. Well, Universal apparently rules the Earth. And, you know, you got to keep in mind, too, and we didn't mention this last week, but this comes on the heels of April's release of Furious 7, which, you know, the, currently the global gross for that is $987 million. That's Ooh. fucking crazy. Topple a billion dollars in 13 days. That's the fastest than any film in history. And I'm kind of curious if thing, if this thing now at this point is going to make Avatar type money. Pixar's new movie got rave reviews. Like pretty much every review I've read about it is just like, you have to go see this film. It's really, really well done. Having said that, this was the first Pixar release that didn't debut in the number one spot because Jurassic Park managed to take that away from them, too. So, again, I'm going to ask what I asked last week. What the fuck is it with dinosaurs? Enough to make four movies based on them, and people will keep coming back. It's also just because I, I look at the Facebook feed and Twitter feed, and there's a lot of hate for the new Jurassic Park, too. Uh, there's a lot of divisiveness uh, amongst fans. It's like, this is ludicrous. This is terrible. Uh, you know, Bryce Howard running around in heels in the paddock and blah, 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 you know, all this, you know, crazy questions. But, you know, I say it's like, take a chill pill. Here, smoke some medical marijuana and just relax and just enjoy it. You know, check your brain. You know, even the first Jurassic Park was, was fucking full of holes, but you still had a good time. I'm still so confused about how you had a good first, meh second, a meh third, and then your fourth, that's the one that brings home the gold. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was better than the first one. And then um, for Pixar, Inside Out, it's solid. It's good. I don't think it's as great because I fell prey to the hype train. Everyone's like, it's the most amazing movie ever. And I go, and it's like, okay, it's good. It's good. It's an interesting, very creative take on dealing with human emotions and everything. It had a good message. And, you know, beautiful animation and, you know, good, tight storytelling, great acting and everything. But uh, it's no Toy Story. Pixar, I you know, I love the Toy Story trilogy. I'm worried their heyday is uh, kind of past. Pixar's heyday? The the creative quality uh, of, you know, the longevity of something, you know, because they put out things through the years that they didn't make the kind of money that they, they did when they first debuted with the toy stories and all that stuff. You know, you had stuff like brave, which got critical acclaim, didn't quite make the thing. They made cars, which made a you know shit ton of money. But if you ask fans, you know, cars is not the most beloved Pixar movie. Ratatouille. Yeah. I mean, these, these films do good business. In fact, inside out, didn't it make like over 90 million? I'd call that a hit. But I guess compared to Jurassic Park, oh, it's weak. It's it's doing poor. It's terrible. Cars wasn't that bad. You know, it, it's tough for me because I watch a lot of stuff with my kids. And sometimes you end up inadvertently getting sucked into something with your kids. And Cars kind of became a staple in my house for a while. Yeah. And it, I didn't really have a problem with it. 
Um, Cars 2 was utter shit. That should have been just like a, a directed DVD sequel as opposed to a theatrical release. But I hope what you're saying isn't true because I still have a lot of hope for Incredibles 2. And you got Brad Bird working on it, and I hope that really knocks out of the park. That's such a tough one, though, because it, it has so much expectation built into it, so much hype, so much um, anticipation, that if it's even... If it turns out to be a good movie, I think people will pan it. We'll stay on the Universal train for a minute here. Yeah. But uh, apparently, we get a big announcement that Funimation Entertainment and Universal Pictures Home Entertainment signed a distribution deal. And that, essentially, Universal is taking over all of Funimation's distribution. And this is from the press release. i just hoping to really get key franchises into this truly global market to this really saturate the fuck out of the globe with all things Funimation. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. And I can't speak too much to the business of Funimation, but I would think signing on with a, with a distributor, yeah, you might be losing a little bit of money because you're going to pay your distributor, but um, your returns are probably going to be better. And hopefully the discs will be cheaper. We went to that a while back when you were paying ridiculous $35, $40 for three episodes on a DVD. That was insane. So hopefully with this market saturation comes production and price. And, you know, God forbid people go out and buy their random man instead of stealing it online. And, it, and it's fun to, to dream about what the future, what the possibilities include with this partnership. You know, having Universal on board to distribute anime titles from such a huge company like Funimation, I wonder if the long-term plan, again, this is just speculation, that uh, you know, you, you would see some more uh, live action rights tossed around. You know, controversial, of course, because you know the <laughs> the hit ratio on live action anime adaptations is uh, non-existent. But you know, you wonder if studios of that caliber uh, don't still see it as as something extremely viable. Not only is it still viable, but to have a really big company like Universal step in and. and want to partner with a company like Funimation. Um, and of course, Funimation is lucky to have Dragon Ball Z. We'll just get that out of the way. Um, but over 400 different uh, anime and live action titles. And now, you know, you're talking about having Cowboy Bebop. That's also pretty big. Akira. Um, they Funimation ended up snapping up a lot of these rights. And it just seems like a, a good thing, I guess. I don't. It, I thought it was too late, but apparently I was wrong. What the fuck do I know? What the fuck do we know? That that's usually the that should be our new phrase. The big ball broadcast. What the fuck do we know? I I would wear a shirt of that every day of the week. Let's make it happen. Let's crowd for uh, crowd fund that. I don't know if you guys would do, would do that. You should tweet at us. Let us know. Would you wear a shirt that actually says that at BB Broadcast or the Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com, which um, we've been neglecting lately. And <laughs> look, we got a backlog of emails. How did that happen? It's crazy go nuts. It's crazy go nuts. We got enough to just go back and forth here. I want to, first of all, uh, acknowledge Alan S., who's usually one of in, in our chat room. We weren't able to, to get the chat going for the recording of this episode. Uh, because uh, we couldn't get the, the uh, app to open <laughs> to do so. Uh, but usually we stream on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. You guys can listen in as we uh, record our podcast. We get live action, interaction, rather, with you guys, and that, that means a lot to us. But, of course, there's the after-the-fact feedback stuff. So Alan S. writes, Hi, Kyle and Steve. 
Long-time listener Alan S. here. So last week there was a whole controversy regarding the recasting of the Powerpuff Girls, and it reminded me of something that was recently announced. So a few weeks ago, Funimation announced a whole bunch of stuff regarding their broadcast dubs, and arguably the biggest one of them was revealing that they had managed to bring back the cast of Haruhi Suzumiya for the disappearance of Yuki Nagato series, something completely unprecedented, considering that Haruhi was originally licensed by Bandai and dubbed at BangZoom in L.A., which usually is a union-only gig. Yet somehow they managed to get them all back, including Crispin Freeman and Kari Walgren, who are pretty much known for being limited to union-only productions outside of a rare few instances, such as the last few episodes of Helsing Ultimate. And it got me to thinking that uh, that say what you want about the Powerpuff Girls not reprising their roles and the backlash that ensued, at least it's arguably easier for them to reprise considering most cartoon voiceover is done in L.A., Considering the shenanigans required to get someone back for an anime dub these days, it's a small miracle they were able to get the Haruhi cast back. Otherwise, that's all for me. Keep up the good work on the podcast. Thank you, Alan S. I guess I should note that the Powerpuff Girls um, recast, it wasn't a matter of not being able to get the original actresses back. This was a total creative decision uh, from the makers of the new Powerpuff Girls show uh, to hire new actresses on that and and it is controversial because you know you saw the 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 power of social media the the vitriol and hatred and and even backlash against the actresses themselves you know it's like you know down with this person we want you know the original cast back and it's like wow it's it's just a show but we've seen you know dub cast change through the years and the fans are pretty passionate about uh changes so you know, with as, as vocal as people were about it, that alone may, ex- you know, have a, a severe impact on the success uh, of the new Powerpuff Girls show. I don't think so, because I think the same philosophy applies to comic book movies. The studios are very honest and aware that maybe about 10% of your audience is familiar with the books. You have 90% going in relatively cold. I think it's kind of the same for a show like Powerpuff Girls. Who are you appealing to? I don't think the producers or the creators really give a fuck if the 26-year-old in the room is pissed because it's a different voice actress. Because I guarantee you that the three, four, five, and six-year-olds in the rooms don't give a shit. Yeah, I think we got a, uh, one that actually spoke to that. I'm, I'm looking at one of our letters here. Hello, Big Ball Broadcast. Kyle and Steve. I was curious about what your thoughts and perspectives would be when it comes to fans of superheroes who have never bothered with comics. Are they still fans? For example, I myself learned about Captain America and the Avengers from the old arcade game when I was a little kid. I saw it, I played it because it looked cool, and thought Iron Man was the coolest, wishing one day there would be a movie. When I saw the Iron Man movie years later and came upon the end scene with Nick Fury, I almost lost my shit. But But purists often berate people who only bother with material outside of the comics. Me, I like Marvel's movies and maybe their games, but aren't as much but aren't i just as much of a fan as they are i feel going back to invest in decades and decades of comics and multiple backstories and origins just isn't viable for me is it wrong i only look forward to the movies thanks for the time and keep being awesome i can say aaron that no you're not wrong for only looking forward to the movies Uh, i've said many many times that uh, captain america and iron man as comic books um i mean i rarely have time to read comic books as it is but um, through the years, those aren't characters that have just captured my imagination. I think they're a lot of fun to watch cinematically, though. I'm more of a movie person. So absolutely, I will be there 
you know, here, take my money, Marvel. I will gladly watch these movies. Um, but I don't think that makes you less of a fan. Um, that, that whole controversial thing, just like girls have to deal with, like, you're not a fan. You're just a chick. You're just a hot chick. And you're just trying to, you know, get, you know, hits and likes on social media. You're not really a gamer. You're not really a geek or a nerd. It's like, well, says who? I have to draw a parallel with Dragon Ball Z for me personally, because I haven't read the manga. And of course, the manga preceded the anime. I don't watch it in Japanese and read the subtitles. I, I watch it in English because if I'm eating dinner, I would like to be able to, you know, listen to the show and eat at the same time. Um, reading subtitles is a pitch, but I don't think that makes me less of a fan of Dragon Ball Z. You know, I'm excited for the new series. I'm excited for Resurrection F. I have action figures and posters and DVDs. I would certainly consider myself a fan, and, and I would remain very staunch and adamant about that, but I don't think you have to be a, a purist in order to be considered a fan. I think if, you, if you're willing to spend money on it, you're a fan. Who the fuck cares anything else about it? Did you enjoy it? It's all the fuck that matters. You don't have to sit here and justify why you like it. You know, it's, it's like everyone's a critic. It's like, why do you like this movie? I don't know. I just do. <laughs> Some people are a little uh, more articulate than that, and others just like, I don't know. I like the vibe. I like, I like the banter. I like this, that, and the other about it. It's like, oh, you know, your like or your hatred of this property um, is is somewhat less legit than this over here because the internet uh, court of public opinion is what really matters. They say that art, you know, by definition, is something that evokes an emotional response, and they don't see what that that emotional response should be there's no baseline or standard for how you should feel about something and i have this argument all the time when it comes to music if you dig it and you want to crank it and rock your head to it fucking knock yourself out if that's your thing fine my thing may not be your thing but i'm not going to get in a 20 minute argument why you know metallic is better than anthrax or, or vice versa it doesn't matter because at the end of the day when i'm driving alone in my car i'm listening to what i want to listen to fuck with everybody else Oh, and speaking of metal bands, I have to give a shout-out to Iron Maiden because they have a new album called Book of Souls coming, uh, what, August? September, September 4th. Oh, September, close enough. But I'll tell you, I'm already kind of a little scared. Don't get me wrong, I, I've been a lifelong Maiden fan, particularly with, with Dickinson on the mic. But I get nervous when I see that this is a two-disc set that only comprises 11 tracks, and I'm like, fuck, every song is going to be Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. <laughs> That was a slog back in high school when I bought Power Slave on vinyl, and I would kind of just skip through it. It's like, oh, I don't like this this uh, <laughs> eight-minute part of the song. I like skipping to this part. 92 minutes in length. Uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> too much. I don't know if you can ever have too much Iron Maiden, but I guess if it's dragging after the second track, then yeah, 92 minutes is a bit long. I will say I, I feel horrible just looking at pictures of what Bruce Dickinson looks like now. I'm like, oh my god, have we, have we really aged that much? Poor um, guy's been through a lot, but um, the the band has <laughs> is, is certainly had enough success to just continue to tour the world, fill stadiums. Uh, without a radio hit, you know, they're just one of those, those legendary acts like Rush. I'm going to take my girlfriend and she's like, I know Tom Sawyer. And I'm like, okay, cool. But <laughs> Rush is one of my favorite bands of all time. They're another act that continues to sell out year after year and their albums don't have near the sales they did back when they first became a name. But, you know, it doesn't matter when you have an act, you know, that, you know, prestigious, I guess. I'm looking, looking for the, words to, to to fit that sort of thing 
with me, it's all about Steve Harris. It always has been about Steve Harris, and it always will be about Steve Harris. Um, he was ridiculously influential on me very young as a, a budding bass player. It was big for me to have the realization that he wrote a lot of the songs and, and that kind of clicked the light bulb in my head. Like, it's not just the stone guy hanging in the corner in the darkness, you know, that bass players can really contribute a lot to the group as a whole. And it gave me a lot of confidence. And, and I started writing a lot of songs in my bands and I ended up fronting the band. And yeah, so I thank Steve Harris for that, for, for giving me that faith and confidence that bass players can really fucking rock out. Hey, Kyle, another world, Steve. I'm a longtime listener of the BBB. My voicemails were played on some episodes of the pre-Smod version. In fact, here's something trippy. I used to listen to the Big Ball broadcast during my ninth grade art class when I was 14. Now I'm 24 and I listened to it at my cubicle at work. Cool stuff. Y'all talked a lot about Star Wars and the upcoming Force Awakens. I know y'all are old school fans of the originals and think poorly of the prequels, but uh, is there anything about them you appreciate? Personally, I think the world building and additions to the mythology were valuable. For example, we actually get to see the old Jedi Order and learn how Jedi are trained. Also, we get to see Coruscant and what society looks like, what that society looks like. Granted, I can recognize the casting was baffling in places, the dialogue was cheap, and the editing was bad, too. I do have one problem with the BBB, and that is the fact that Otherworld Steve has not watched Firefly or Serenity. I mean, what the fuck? Have you heard that it's too awesome? Does the passionate legion of fans not convince you? Does someone have to mail you a copy? Oh, wait, Kyle did that eight years ago. Come on, Otherworld. It's right up your alley. If you're going to take time to watch anything, it should be Firefly. Skip a few episodes of the Big Bang Theory garbage and hop on board. Anyway, thanks for letting me ramble and keep up the great work, guys. Smodco is a perfect fit, and thanks for all the great shows. Thanks to Charlie, a.k.a. Hero004, from our chat. What say you, Otherworld Steve? That was an awesome email. It really was. I'm literally grinning ear to ear over here. Here's the problem that I have with it because it's been so long. It's, it's, it's been, yeah, probably about eight years, maybe a little longer. When I'm looking at it, is it going to look dated? Is it going to look not like something that's going on nowadays? Is it anamorphic or is it, you know, TV size? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's widescreen. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I can look upon it now, all these years later, and find the same appreciation that you guys did initially when it was broadcasting. And I know that sounds like a really weak excuse, but my time was also very valuable. And I don't know if I want to make that kind of investment. Okay, to, to catch you guys up, I tried to, to talk Steve into watching Firefly, right? It's like, okay, it's like 13 episodes because it got canceled by Fox, of course. They have anything good, they're going to cancel it and fuck it up. Then they came out with Serenity. You know, okay, so it's a two-hour investment. Watch the damn movie. Yeah, it's a kind of a sequel to the, the, the series Firefly, but it's also self-contained. So you don't really have to, to, to be, to have that connection. You're more enriched if you do, but you could totally watch it and, uh, decide from there. So I'm trying to remember, did I get you a Firefly box set or a Serenity disc? I forget. You gave me a Serenity disc. You mailed it to me a long time ago. It's still sitting on my shelf in the original cellophane wrap. But now that somebody other than you has beaten me up about it, I will make this pledge to our listeners. I will watch it, and I will give you my review of Serenity on the next show. Lower your expectations. It's the worst thing ever made. You have to see it. It's worse than Plan 9 from Outer Space. And, of course, you know I love Ed Wood. But anyways, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll 
sacrifice two hours of my time. If I can do it once a week for this show, then I, I can give you two for Serenity. And the fans will hold you accountable. Much like, you know, Jay Muse with, with Kevin Smith, it's like he was able to conquer his, his addictions and stay sober. The fans are going to hold you to it. You're right, guys. Right? Right? Am I right? Are we going to hold Otherworld Steve to sit there and just watch Serenity? We're not telling him to watch Firefly. We're telling him to watch one movie. Tweet us at BB Broadcast. Tell me. Tell me in your tweet. Should I watch it or would I be wasting two hours of my life? <laughs> yeah, is Kyle totally full of shit? It's like, get over it. And, and all the Whedon haters come out. You know, he's like, why do you think it's so good? Josh is not that good. Josh, you yeah. wrote Alien Resurrection. It's like, oh, shut up. You know what I thought was good? I thought the first Kick-Ass movie was pretty good. Yes. And uh, the second one, not so much. There's a reason for that. And again, yes, I pick everything apart. Watch the making of Kick-Ass. Watch what you know went into making this film. It was independently made. It was independently pr- produced. It was all done in... England with British actors, and I thought they did an incredible job uh, spitting out Americanized dialogue without the British accents. Uh, and, and I say that sincerely. That I'm not being a dick about that at all. They were lucky enough to find a decent distributor, and that's how a lot of us get to see it. The second one was trying to ride on coattails, and at that point, they had money and shit being thrown at them. But when you have money thrown at you, you have people calling shots. Like, yeah, I'll give you this much, but you got to do this and you got to do that. So that was a little unfortunate. So Matthew Vaughn, he kind of recognizes there were some issues, and he wants to revitalize the whole kick-ass, kick-ass franchise with a hit girl prequel and he's pretty serious about it and you know of course it's going to include big daddy and big daddy i think you know it's kind of everybody's fave in that flick they they actually uh were touched by nicholas cage i guess you, you might be able to say probably one of his more sincere emotional approaches to a role in a long time so i'm kind of excited about that and uh there's a full interview with vaughn available on yahoo if you want to go watch that um the only thing that i think that that bugs me a little bit is i really dug the chick who played mindy in kick ass and i'm sorry i don't remember the actress's name now she did such a great job as hit girl and i hope they can cast somebody being a prequel who can kind of, you know, fill that purple wig. Yeah, I think there's still hope for that franchise. I know they've written sequels in the comic book. And uh, from what I can tell, you know, maybe it's 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 lost its luster and everything. But uh, I think the, the cinematic universe has such potential with those things. And yeah, I, the sequel was kind of a misfire. There were some, some good elements. I did enjoy... Uh, Jim Carrey, even though he kind of lost his mind and went on this anti-violence rant after the movie, and it's like kind of unfairly picked on it after the fact. It's like, you know what you signed up for, dude. What the hell? I kind of feel bad for Kick-Ass himself because he's been in some high-profile films afterwards. He was in Godzilla and um, something a little bit more recent that escapes my memory. Age of Ultron. Oh, yeah, that's right, Age of Ultron. I I think he deserves better. I think he he deserves more leading man status i guess yeah nicholas cage is older and all that and, and chloe the actress uh is, is too old too but i mean who fucking cares just make it make it a prequel before the first kick ass i would i would watch that absolutely and i think there's a good story there too and that's not something you necessarily always have in the prequel sometimes it feels very shoehorned but you get a little bit of the origin during the first kick-ass film and yeah i wouldn't mind seeing that blown out to 90 minutes or so i did appreciate that the bad guy's name in the sequel was motherfucker (laughs) i i kind of like mother russia too i thought that was an interesting character 
Oh, so getting back to, yeah, that was a question that was posed in the email was, is there anything redeeming about the Star Wars prequels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you definitely, A, get a sense it was a much larger universe. And part of me kind of dug that. But I think episode three in particular brought some interesting things to the table. I, I liked, for the most part, up until the ending, the, the fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan. And the same can be said with Darth Maul. It, it's a shame Darth Maul was so wasted considering he was the you know poster boy when the film was coming out. You, you had a lot of hope and expectation for him. Um, but he wasn't around too long. But that saber fight, particularly with uh, Obi-Wan and Maul, that was jaw-dropping. I, I went back to the theater seven times. I have seven stubs attached to the, the picture frame of me watching that movie because that saber battle was fucking incredible. Seeing tons of Jedi and tons of sabers and not the two old men fighting at the end of episode four was pretty cool. So Yeah, well, I like the pod race myself. And it's kind of I- ironic that uh, that uh, Jake Lloyd <laughs> apparently got in a high-speed... Um pursuit and got pulled over by cops and uh wow poor guy's life is uh, a little off the track nowadays it's too bad because it's not like he's like some big fuck up child star there's a youtube interview with him from not too long ago um you know he's a film student he's looking into directing and producing and because of his experience with Star Wars, and not really his experience with Star Wars, more the reaction, I guess, the, the ridicule that's been thrust upon him ever since that point. You know, he's had to change multiple schools, and everywhere he goes, people are just giving him shit about being Anakin Skywalker in Episode One, which I think is really unfair and undeserved. But it really seemed like he was just trying to fade into obscurity. Kind of shocking for me, anyway, to realize, holy shit, this dude's really in a shit ton of trouble. He was a kid. You know, he was directed to, to, to act that way. Those are the takes. I often say that in defense of voice actors when people say, oh, that performance was shit. It's like, well, you know what my job in the booth is? To listen to what the director says. It's their call. And above the director is the client. You got to make the client happy. It's not my call to to pick like, well, this take is more realistic and this one's oh, hammy and over the top and cheesy. You know, that was the direction that George went and he freely admitted for, you know, ever since the first Star Wars came out that he's not an actor's director. He's a visual guy. He's proven his, uh, you know, his, his statements there. You know, he can, he can be a world builder and, and, and a visual architect of things. But the dialogue, yeah, not a strong point. Dealing with, you know, if, you, if you're taking people like Natalie Portman and Sam Jackson and, and making them into some of the worst performances you've ever seen, <laughs> is that talent or <laughs> what? That's truly the biggest criticism across all six films coming from the actors themselves is the dialogue is ass. People don't talk that way. You hear it going back to 76 during production with Carrie Fisher going off on, on tirades about that right up through, you know, the conclusion of episode three with Ewan McGregor saying, I will never do another Star Wars movie. That is it. It's just, it's way too much. Yeah. Can you imagine, you know, the difference between the excitement of, oh my God, I get to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then three films later, I will never do this shit ever again as long as I live. At least somebody like McGregor, hopefully, you know, he's not typecast. He he can go out and do his thing. It did initially harm people like um, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill who had a real hard time finding work after the the big blast of the classic trilogy. So it's a kind of fucked up double-edged sword, I suppose. We're getting to that point where we're just going to have to pull the plug. We have some more emails. We'll save them up for next week. If you guys want to drop us a line, of course, thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. That's how you get a hold of us, at BB Broadcast on Twitter. 
And, um, of course, follow us on Smodco. Catch up on all past episodes. And uh, we'll keep churning them out as we can. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to do our live stream. Uh, that's the plan anyway on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Follow our Twitter feed so you can get the link and be prepared to join the chat room and uh, be all interactive and shit. And uh, bring your opinions because uh, we love talking about that shit. So until next time, this is Kyle Abair And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.